Hello, my name is Pastor Mark Sturmer with The Church International, and I would just like to say welcome to our podcast. I know God wants to use this to speak something very positive into your life. I know this will encourage you, help you grow in your walk with the Lord. And look, if you enjoy this, leave a review, make sure you share it with someone, and go ahead and subscribe so that you won't miss out on any of the messages that God wants to communicate to you. Well, look, God bless, get ready, lean in, and watch what the Lord is about to do. All right, how many of you ready for the Word of God this morning? Say this, say, God is in the story. That's the title, that's what we're doing. God is in this story. He's in your story. He's in my story. He's in the story of humanity. Guess what? He wrote the script. He's the director. He is the main actor. And we have been talking about that, how he's extremely involved in all of this. But he's not the only one in the story that has an involvement role. We have the loss that we need to go reach. We have the devil say boo, but then we have us. And so we have a role to play, and it's not being an extra, but it's being uh, a supporting actor with a monologue. We have a story to tell, and it's important that we do our part. And I'll tell you what, God's in the story, and he's in the story of using people. Using people like you, using people like me. He's in the story of doing this through humanity. Today, we're going to actually do something. We're going to be looking at uh, a character in the Bible that God used. But before we talk about him, I want us to kind of uh, realize that in America especially, and it's starting to be in the rest of the world, we look at characters and we look at people, you know, where it, we kind of put them on a pedestal. Or in when you talk about a movie, and you see, you know, these superheroes doing supernatural things, you kind of, you know, put it in your mind that, okay, wow, that's fake, that's not real, that can never be me. But then when we read the Bible characters, and they're doing supernatural things, we mix that up, where we think, oh, is that really real? I can never do that. And we have to understand something, that the characters of the Bible are no different than the characters in this room are listening to me right now. They're no different. So we need to grasp that. We need to understand that, that we fit in with this. And so when I look at this character that we're going to talk about this morning, don't look at it, look at him from a far away distance, but realize this is just like us. Like Peter said, you know, when he went to Cornelius, Cornelius thought he was something special. And Peter said, whoa, 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 get up, man. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. And so we, we, I want you to embrace the story and realize that this is your story too, that God does this with, with all of us, can do this with all of us, if we uh, respond correctly. Amen? Amen? So the one we're going to talk about today is Philip. And so first of all, how many Philips are there uh, in the Bible? Anybody know? Raise your hand. You know, how many Philips? Two? That's a, that's a great guess. Anybody else? Anybody else? It's okay. You can, you know. Anybody else? How many Phillips? No, no hands going up? Someone going to guess? Well, wrong direction. Guess again. 
Three. There's three. There's three, right? Phillips, in the, in, if I'm wrong, you know, come tell me later. So, but from what I looked at, there's three Phillips in the Bible. Uh, the first Philip was the brother of, uh-uh, the brother of a king. Anybody? Fitz? Anybody? No? Kits? No? So, uh, okay, the brother of Herod. Remember, Herod stole his wife. And so I think her name was Herodias. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> so, I, and then anybody remembers that Philip was one of the apostles, right? He was one of the disciples. Okay, let's try this. How many disciples were they? Raise your hand if you know that. What is it? Twelve. Good job, Kenny. Good job. Twelve. Awesome. Okay, Kenny, name all twelve. No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> she could probably do it, right? She could probably do it. Uh, give me a couple names. Not, not your typical four gospel names. Actually, three gospel names because Mark wasn't one of them. Woo. All right, name, give me a couple of uh, names. What? Andrew. Andrew is awesome. What? Okay, you got to raise your hand. Uh, who said Judas? You had to pick that one, didn't you? <laughs> Next one. What? Yeah, yeah. The Zealot. Yeah, Simon, absolutely. So we got, you know, these, but we're not talking about that Philip. Okay. Not, not the one that lost his wife. <laughs> not the one that was one of the apostles. By the way, I was reading about Philip the Apostle. He did, he did a lot of stuff. And so, but we're, we're going into a different Philip. And this Philip actually comes on the scene in the book of Acts and in the New Testament church. And when a great need arises. And so we're going to be talking about Philip. And Philip was a man. I want you to see. I'm going to give you three points to remember. Philip, first of all, was a man of good reputation and he was full of the Spirit, okay? And he was just in the church. Now, let me set this up for you just for a second. Guys, let me just say this. I, I got to say this. I've heard this so much throughout my Christian walk and being a pastor and being a part <clears throat> of churches that are really changing the world where people are like, man, you know, big churches ain't of God. Big church, you know, you got to be a little church. And, uh, and, you know, the pastor has to do everything and all that. Let me tell you something. That is, you don't read that nowhere. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. The very start of the church, 3,000 people get saved in one day. One day, mega church, bam. They got a, a 120 up in the room, you know, struggling to make it. And then one message, mega church. I mean, just bam. And so they had so many, so this idea that, that God doesn't do that is silly. It's silly because it's nowhere in the scripture, all right? And so uh, they had a mega church, and they were, they were rolling. They had thousands of people, and, man, they had all kind of ministries that were going on. Of course, they were meeting the house to house, but it does say, they forget when they say this, well, they met in the house. Yeah, but did you read the scripture? They met in a synagogue and in the house. And so they all came together, and they did the house to house. And so it's not either or, it's both and. But it had all this going on, all this ministry going on. They started meeting the needs of people. <clears throat> and one of the areas was widow's ministry. 
And they had a cooking for Christ. It was the first cooking for Christ. Amen. Cooking for Christ right there, bam, right in the front. Cooking for Christ, awesome ministry, right? And so, but what was happening is the, the, uh, the widows, uh, they had these uh, widows that were not Jewish, and they were, they were being overlooked. So they, the Jewish widows were getting what they needed, but these other widows that had came in, uh, they were not getting what they needed. And so a complaint arose. A complaint. By the way, the New Testament church had complaints too. And it's funny because people say, we need to be like the New Testament church. I'm like, no, not really, because all the letters in the New Testament church talks about all the messed up things the New Testament church was. And saying, y'all don't be messed up like these guys. I mean, every letter is about things messed up in the New Testament church. The idea that you got issues and things going on in the New Testament church. By the way, that is the New Testament church. That's how the church survives and operates, just like your home. Ooh. Right? Not a whole lot different. So you got to read things in the context of God and history and what's going on. And so, uh, but here they needed to do something. They needed to serve these widows. I want to read the scripture, Acts 6, 2 through 6. I actually had a man one time told me, he said, and this was of a small church, and it was a guy that was talking to me, and I was, you know, just becoming a pastor and all that. He said, I don't think God should have put, you know, uh, Acts 6 in the Bible. And he was referring to where the, uh, you know, the pastors or the men of God, the apostles, where they had to concentrate on the word and the preaching of the word and not serving all the tables. He was like, I think the pastor need to do everything and be everywhere. I'm like, well, you obviously don't realize we're only human. And if you want a pastor to last, you better not have him do all that. Because that's why they go down. Amen. And so in Acts 6, 2 through 6, it says, So the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Guys, I want to tell you what. You know, uh, it is a lot with, with everything going on and, and doing leadership and the expectations on pastors and everything else it, to, to be able to also stay in the word and, and do all the other things that need to be done on the spiritual side of things with all the natural side of things. I mean, it's crazy. So, but he said, it's, it's not good for us to do that. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of, watch, good reputation, full of the spirit, and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, talking about the widows. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose uh, Stephen. And so I'll go in there. So the whole thing here is the fact that the congregation understood that everyone had to play a role and, and that it wasn't one little group of people that's supposed to be doing everything. Yeah. It wasn't just the pastor supposed to be doing everything. They felt they understood that. Our church today needs to understand that. Because uh, a lot of people, they trip out. they like, uh, you, know, you know, pastor didn't come visit me in the hospital. But four people from the church did. I mean... You understand what I'm saying? And so it's just stuff that we have to realize and embrace. But they found some people who can do these types of things. And they found seven of them. And so uh, one of them was named, let me see where I'm at. Right? The announcement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want you to recognize something. Is that they didn't just choose anyone. It had to be someone of good reputation. It had to be someone that was, uh, what's a good reputation? Everyone respected them very highly. 
And I want you to see they had to have faith. I want you to see that the role of the Holy Spirit, that they had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we need, say, I need the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the helper. That's why he's called our teacher. He is the power of God inside of us so that we can do the mission. And so they had to be all of this. So Philip was one of them. Uh, Stephen was one of them. And then here we pick up Philip. And this is who we're talking about this morning. And then we had uh, Prochorus. He was on the, in the choir. And uh, y'all get that, some of y'all. We had Nick. We had Tim. We had Parr. He played golf. And then we had another Nick. I just did that so I wouldn't murder these names, okay? And, uh, and then it says, and they brought these men before the apostles, and they, after praying, they laid hands on them. And so they laid hands on them. Here you see the importance of when you're doing ministry that is brought under the leadership of the church. Because you see the example here, right? And so not only that, but these men, in order to do the ministry in the church, which goes back to Ephesians, that the pastor shouldn't be doing everything, but that he equips the congregation to do the work of the ministry, right? And so, but you just can't flippantly do it. You have to have a good reputation. you got to be living a holy life. A lot of times, you know, someone will see someone, they have a gift, but they don't have any character. And they wonder, why that person ain't doing more? Why never? Because you don't know what we may know about someone's life. And we don't share that with people, so you wouldn't know. And so we're trying to get their character caught up with their gift. How I many of you, your gift can open the door, but your character keeps you in the room? And so you got to have character. And, 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 and Paul told Timothy all about that. He gave a whole list how healthy and godly and your own household and how all these things that when we pick and choose and lay hands, that's not should be done not flippantly, but it's got to be right people who are healthy people. Because when you have healthy people leading, you have a healthy church. Amen? And so, but what I want you to recognize in all that is the way we live our lives influences opportunities and impact we have in this world for the kingdom of God. And so it matters. The way we live our lives matter. You know, I see, you know, I was encouraging pastor the other day. Had someone that, you know, it was not good and they were still letting them do everything they were doing. And they're just horrible things that had went on and just not good for the reputation. I say, guys, you, you know, that's, that's, that's disruptive. That's going to cause more harm than good. And so in 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, this is where he says God has his house and he has vessels of honor and dishonor. So it's not that, you know, and it's not that if someone's not there yet, they can't get there. But that's what discipleship is, to try to get them there, because it says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, talking about wickedness, he will be an implement for what? Honor, sanctified, useful to the master. So when we're not cleansing ourselves, it's hard for the master to use us. And so useful to the master, prepared for every what? Good work. And so what I want to encourage you with, when you look at Philip, Philip was just a guy in church that made himself available, and he lived a Christian life. And because he lived a Christian life, made himself available, God was able to use him to begin to serve the widows. And it was a big deal. So Philip was uh, a true uh, servant. And so Philip was not just a servant, but he was also an evangelist. 
So they talk about Philip. So it was the same thing. Think about Stephen. Stephen also started serving the widows. But he didn't just, he realized that he doesn't just have a serving role. He has a speaking role. So just because you're an usher, a greeter, or you're in Cook for Christ, or, you know, you're, you're out in the parking lot, or you in a connect group, you're doing something, just because you might be serving in an area does not negate the responsibility of us sharing Christ with others. Stephen did that and got stoned and was killed, right? And so here you see the same thing. Philip does the same thing because in Acts 8.5, it said Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he began preaching and proclaiming Christ to them. And so to this city. And, man, people were getting saved. People were getting baptized. I mean, God was moving. He understood that, you know, I don't just have a serving gift, but I have... I'm also an evangelist. I have to be able to speak God's word to others. And honestly, the reason why he ended up at Samaria is because of the persecution that began to happen in Jerusalem. So he started out in Jerusalem serving the widows. And, but God had told him, listen, not just in Jerusalem, but where? In Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. But they wouldn't kind of sending people out. So God, watch this, allowed persecution to come. Because they were like, we're just going to keep it here. And the persecution allowed by God moved them into the countries. And so that's, so sometimes persecution is not, you know, maybe you got persecuted at one job. And, you know, they, they end up laying you off because, you, because of your stance, because you won't do certain things, or because you're sharing your faith in a respectful and gentle way. But you do that, and you get moved because of persecution. It's okay. God was just ready for you to evangelize another business. Can I get an amen? And you guys got to see this. You got to understand this. And so he was there in Samaria because of persecution. So he didn't just leave and say, man, think about it. He just had to leave his house. He just had to leave where he was. And he wasn't, oh, me. I, I got to reestablish myself. What am I going to do? No, he said, hey, I'm here. I'm going to preach wherever I'm at. And he just began to preach and see great revival. But then Acts 8.26 happens. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so here is a great revival going in the city. God's moving amazingly. But the Holy Spirit speaks to him that, hey, I've got someone I need you to touch. And so just go down this road. I'll reveal it to you when you get there. One thing I know about God, he never gives you all the details. That's why prophecy is always in part, all right? You never have all the details. So anyway, he listens, obeys God, and we've preached on this, and he goes, and who did he meet on the road? The eunuch, right? Ethiopian eunuch. And he's he's a very important man because he's high up. uh, He's taking care of all the treasures for Ethiopia, the country. I mean, it's a very important guy. And so Philip didn't know that. He's just going, and God says, there he is. Go up there and talk to him. He's reading. He leads him to Christ. He gets baptized. And so Philip's like, okay, a eunuch got saved. Great. Then God translates him somewhere else. That's all he knows is someone got saved. Well, history would have it. And uh, the archives of history talking about uh, the Ethiopian church came from this eunuch that got saved on that road that day. So what happened was Philip led someone to to Christ, 
not realizing that someone would carry the gospel to that country and it would birth the Ethiopian church that would see all those people get saved. You never know who you're leading to Jesus. Let, let, me, let me show you how this works, okay? Uh, go ahead and bring the quote up for me. One of the people, D.L. Moody, who knows D.L. Moody? Very important uh, person of faith. One of the people, D.L. Moody, not in the Bible, but from, from uh, the New Testament to now. D.L. Moody counseled, uh, D.L. Moody counseled was, uh, one of the people he counseled was a name named J. Wilbur Chapman, who became a Presbyterian minister. Chapman was instrumental in leading another man to Christ. Watch this. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist. How many you know he preached to 1.5 million people? In 1924, Sunday was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina. And out of that revival, a Christian businessmen's club was formed. And in 1934, this group decided to host an evangelistic crusade. One night during the crusade, watch this, a 16-year-old boy gave his life to Christ. Anyone can guess who that was? All right, his name was Billy Graham. God used him to win tens of millions of people to faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham's story started with one layman who decided to use his spiritual gifts in the local church to, guess what, make an impact in the world, to change the world. And I, I want you to see, guys, where it was just one person, bam, 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 world gets changed. And so when we talk about being world changers, what's so interesting about this is Thursday, I had uh, the same Thursday of youth camp, which was what? That was a week ago. So the same Thursday of youth camp, I had uh, Jeff Diaz and, and uh, David Alexander and Russ Ballinger. They came over to the house with their wives, and uh, we're just eating, hanging out. And afterwards, I told Cindy I wanted to read this little kid's book to them, and that was inspirational. She read it. And then we got to talk about books, and, and Jeff's an avid reader. And so I said, Jeff, man, I got all these uh, faith hero books. I don't know, Cindy, probably, what, 30 of them? about 30 faith heroes that the kids had wrote, uh, read while they were growing up. And I said, man, these are great books. And, and so Jeff looks and he goes, man, uh, give me the one about Billy Sunday. Give me the one about Billy Sunday. I said, okay. And so I gave it to him. Well, the next morning he, he texts me. He says, oh, my God, I got an email. And it's a devotional email. And the whole email is about Billy Sunday. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, you know, that's not a coincidence. And then I tell Pastor Levi uh, on Friday, and then Pastor Levi goes, wait, he said, I went to youth camp Thursday night, and Thursday night I talked about, guess who? Billy Sunday. And so that's three confirmations of, of God saying something. And I, I believe what God said during this talking about Billy Sunday, it could be, I think it's, it's both and, it's these two things. I believe... I believe in my heart that during youth camp, there was a Billy Graham that got saved. Come on. There was a Billy Sunday that got saved. There's a Joyce Mars that got saved. There's a Christine Kane that got saved. Come on, someone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I believe. 
I believe that among our kids is rising up great evangelists that are going to shake the very foundations of this world. I believe, I know it. And I also believe it was also a message to us. I mean, the series that we're in, that God is, is opening doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have got to open our mouths and begin to share our faith with others. God is opening doors. We're going to see revival flood across this land, but we have got to be ready. We've got to live in a way that's holy so God can use us. Can I get an amen? Because he talks about that. But we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to preach the gospel because people are going to get saved. Now, the other thing I want to bring up about Philip. Philip was not just a man of good reputation, a servant, an evangelist. But I want you to see something else. He was also a family man. He was also a family man. I want to show you this. In Acts 21, 8 through 9, it says, On the next day we left and came to Caesarea. Thank you. I was trying to pull it from somewhere, but thank you. Caesarea. We came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. Now, I want you to see this. Who was one of the seven. It's interesting that they bring that up. That what he was doing way back there for cooking for Christ mattered. He was even known by it. He said, yeah, he was one of the seven, remember? Because it's how the church began to operate, that lay people would be used of God, realizing that it wasn't just the leaders, but it was everybody. And I believe that's why that was a memorial. Is, remember, that was one of the seven. Remember, he had a great reputation. Remember, he was full of the Spirit. Remember, he had faith. And God used him. And yes, he was also an evangelist. And then it's interesting, he, he ends up in, uh, here at, at this place because after he had got translated from, is that the right word? Translate? After he got translated from the eunuch, he preached in another little town. Then he ended up here, and he never left. He settled down. He got married. He started having kids. And he, and he kept being an impact. If you notice, Paul said, I want to go to his house. So here you see the idea of hospitality and still opening up his life. I mean, years later, being displaced even in his life didn't affect his faith in God. It just made him say, okay, I'm just somewhere else. I'll do it here. I'll do this. And so I want you to see something about him. So he stayed with him. Now watch, they added this. Now this man had four virgin daughters. That says something right there. How do you know in today's world, we want to be able to say, I got four virgin daughters. So it tells you automatic, this guy is teaching his daughters the right thing. But watch this. It wasn't just they were doing the right thing. Watch this. The daughters were prophetesses. That's hard to say. Prophetesses. In other words, his daughters, his daughters. Right there, you see something very powerful. That they wouldn't just, oh, you're a girl, you just got to hang back. You can only No, these girls, they were powerful. They stood up and, and told people the, the word of the Lord. They were prophetess. Come on, yeah, they were prophetess. And all four daughters, all four daughters, 
all of his household were involved. All of his household were engaged in the mission together. You know, sometimes in the church world, that's not looked down upon. You know how many people, you know, in the church world talk negatively towards that? But I'm like, I tell our pastors, man, like Pastor Terry, I like, man, I love you kids involved, your wife's involved, everyone's involved. You know, my family, I will never, ever apologize for having my family involved in the ministry. I mean, what would you rather them be doing, smoking dope? We should have our kids engaged. I love it. My grandkid, where you at, Sarah? Over there. Uh, Jaden, she was so fired up because Jaden this morning in this service, I believe, right? This morning in this service, she came and she said, look, look, Saba, look, Saba. And she had her serve T-shirt on. And uh, how old is she? She's almost nine. And so today she joined the dream team and she started serving in children's. Come on. What a ma- good job, Sarah. Good job. Good job. Listen, listen. I want you to know this about Philip. Philip didn't just evangelize the world. He also influenced his home. We can do both. We can reach the world, and we can also reach our family. We can do both, guys. We can do both. I want you to stand on your feet, everyone in here. We should do both. But how many know, I know sometimes you can do, you can be a godly person and even do, you know, right things. Samuel, Samuel was the most powerful prophet in the Bible. It said not one word did he speak fell to the ground. Every word he spoke, God heard and responded to. Yet his boys did not serve God. His boys were, were not, did not do well. Then you got Eli, another leader where he didn't do what he was supposed to do in his case, where his boys were also, his, they did not do well at all. Phineas and, uh, what's the other's name? So his two sons, and so they didn't do well, and, and, and he, he didn't correct them. He didn't do nothing about it. And not only did it affect the two sons, but it affect Eli and Eli's whole legacy. It affected everything because he didn't stand up as a parent and do something. And so, but sometimes you can do it all correct and our kids can still go astray. And and I want to tell you something, uh, that breaks God's heart, it breaks my heart because we need our children to serve the Lord. Can I get an amen? And I believe uh, what I want to do uh, this morning, and we have time guys, what I want to do this morning is I believe uh, two, two things. They've got parents out there where your kids are away from the Lord and and my heart goes out to you and it breaks for you and I want you to know it's not too late for them I'm one of those kids I was raised up in church and I went from God away from God hard hard and I was just totally out there but by the grace of God and by a lot of prayers my parents and others I came to know Jesus and I'm here today making an impact in the world so those of you so those of you 
Your kids might be out there. I'm going to believe with you. Because I know God can turn them around because he turned me around. And I know God can turn your kids around. I know God can do this. In a minute, I'm going to open these altars and I want you to get up here and I want you to lay your kids before God. And we're going to pray over you. And we're going to pray over them. There is no judgment in this room. There is no condemnation in this room. There is faith and hope in this room. There is encouragement in this room. And we're going to see them. We're going to see them serve the Lord. We're going to see them make a difference. And then maybe you're in here and, and you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm struggling. I'm not, I just need help as a parent. Or maybe I've got guilt from things as a parent that I should have did and I didn't do. The altar is going to be open for you too. So no one knows why anyone's coming. There's none of their business. But I think it's important that you come. And regardless of, of why it is, God is going to touch you too. But I don't want you to just come and, and just kneel down and get up and go. That's not, that's not coming and giving things to God. I want you to come and I want you to linger. And I want you to let God touch you. It's a place of healing. It's a place of, of asking. It's a place of intercession. My house should be called a house of prayer. And it is a house of prayer. So I want you to get to move out of your seats and get to this altar. And I want you to just lay before God. Come on. Come on, the team's going to minister. I get my pastors to come and help me and some of my prayer leaders to come help me. Yeah, yeah, come on. Okay, okay. Come on, let it out, let it out. Go ahead and cry, let it out. Come on, let it out.
this world with the power of your gospel and the power of your people that you have put power in to do that very thing I prophesy Lord that all of us open our mouths and begin to see people come to know you I pray this Father in the name of Jesus come on give the Lord a hand clap and praise amen Come on, give me praise. Thank you, Father. Give me praise. Thank you, Father. Guys, you are world changers. Your kids are world changers. You go out and you change the world for the glory of Jesus Christ.